the guy who set the world cliff record jumped like 250 feet jamie like, pierre jamie pierre yeah. yeah he was like go he's like you know if you're gonna fall oh, like go limp go like limp. don't fight it that's when you get messed up <laughs> not gonna be all snow a wintry mix is forecast for the listening area This is Wintry Mix number 57. I'm Alex Kaufman. So, I am about to suffer through a couple chunks of work-related travel to Virginia, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Colorado. And though I have timely interviews lined up for afterward, it seemed like the right time, before I'm sucked away, to pull my chat with recent visitor Ryan Dunphy out of the bucket. He came through town in September from his home base in Portland, Maine, to get in some mountain biking. The somewhat dated discussion digs into our affinity for car habitating, Ryan's overshooting a park jump life event, running TGR's web content during the heady days of clickbait, and his current role with the Sierra Club, also splitboarding. This was recorded when my second mic was being fixed, so the audio isn't my favorite, but still worth giving to you. Coming up in November will be the first Wintry Mix Car Talk episode, a pod listener and diehard skier from Burlington named Paul, who is also a mechanic, will field your wintry car-related questions. You just have to send in a few. Call 802-560-5003 to do that. I'm also hoping to nail down a Mad River Valley real estate expert named Doug in the same time frame. Be sure to check out recent episodes 55 and 56 with Karen Keene of Stowe and Aaron Rice of Waterbury, if you haven't yet or venture deep into the archives if you dare. Listeners can always reach me via email at alex at wintrymixcast.com. And thanks to those hitting up Apple Podcasts to drop those five-star ratings and reviews. They help other people find the pod. I'll be right back with Ryan Dunphy. Stick around. These first few episodes of the new format are brought to you by me. Just me. No sponsors. I wanted to get the new vibe figured out first. But very soon, there will be a really rad local restaurant group, brewery, and or retailer highlighted right here. We'll see who steps up. Let's get back to the pod. This will work. Got the dog to my left. We have first Wintry Mix Studios visitor to my front. Trying to do this with one microphone. Hopefully it'll work. Ryan Dunphy, hello. You look, I don't know, you look a little haggard right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's what uh, boondocking and the Stillwaterbury area do to you a couple days in a tent. So, Have you been bathing in the river or are you totally unbathed? Oh, full river, river bathe. Yeah, I got some Castile soap, so uh, guilt-free. River bathing, it's actually been really, really nice. 
could work up a nice sud with that stuff. Is there an environmental angle to that? Like what you should bathe in the river with versus not soap-wise? Yeah, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but I only because my friend Ben used uh, Dr. Bronner's last weekend when we were camping, and I was like, oh, okay, that's cool because it's all essential oils and, you know, it's not, uh, you know, weird-ass chemicals and stuff. So, yeah, it's just like essential oils, so I think it's totally fine to uh be able to river bathe with that stuff and river wash your gear as i was doing as well nice so this yeah. is like the big mountain biking weekend we're here in the studio on labor day weekend people will be hearing this a little while later sometime in the fall mm-hmm. and you're my first quote-unquote visitor the whole new angle to the podcast the whole new hook is totally. waterbury stowe matter valley locals and visitors uh-huh. so happy to have the first visitor in here i get that like the studio setup is a little weird Oh no, for the listening audience at home, I'm in a uh, traditional Japanese changing room with a bunch of various <laughs> blankets and there's some foam uh, phone booth padding similar to your average recording studio on the, the walls. I have extra foam padding, but my wife wouldn't let me put it up. So like this is the <laughs> limit that she would allow in this one location. This is the tolerable decor for, uh, yeah, it's great. No, very functional. Are you grabbing a shower after the, after this? Or are you gonna no? Bounce? I'm going to no, go sweat good. it out in Perry Hill. Oh, sweet! Some, and then I'll you're hitting all the good bathe. spots while you're here this yeah, weekend, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We both kind of have a history of sleeping in the car. You come up from where? Let's just start with that. You got up from Frank came from Portland, Maine. Yeah, yeah. Boondocking. Describe your current location. So you're just kind of car camping or or sleeping in car? Um, I am car camping, kind of experimenting a bit because I've just been having trouble sleeping well during my camping uh but i also started uh airbnb my house out in portland on the weekends so i'm kind of like kick out kick myself out of my own house for a couple oh someone renting your house right now yeah yeah, yeah. oh awesome. yeah. so you're making money i'm making money while you're car sleeping right here in waterbury right going mountain biking that's exactly studious it's you know uh, yeah, so it's really hard to uh, want to spend money after you're getting a check for leaving your house. So I've just been, I also like car camping. So yeah, I experimented with just sleeping in the tent last night uh, on a very nice bluff that the Kaufman family uh, located for me on a really nice river. So I love the assignment. I love yeah. the, hey, I'm coming up. Where can I boondock legally? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, all right, well, I'll leave my desk for an hour to go figure that out. Right. That was right. super fun. Yeah, because I wouldn't have any idea where to send people. <laughs> and in you Portland. went there in the dark too, so that was like <laughs> yeah, totally. that's difficult. Totally. I mean, I had to I had to do the Plan B spot for the the dark approach, but uh, yesterday I had more time to explore. So you're able to get through the bog, that little oh, yeah. swampy area. Yeah. In the know, people undermine the Jetta and the clearance, same yep. clearance as a Prius, but if you know where to put your tires, you're you're golden. So. What's the worst car you've ever slept in? Oh, it was like a Toyota Yaris last uh, January when I was out. I did a work trip to the Bay Area for my job at Sierra Club. And then I visited a friend in Santa Barbara to go surfing. And I, I was in the Oakland airport parking lot. I had rented a Nissan. <laughs> Oakland um, airport parking yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't sleep What other there. type of vehicle is that similar to? For it's people like who a, don't know that It's one. like a Corolla. It's like a smaller version of a Corolla. It's like the smallest four-door sedan you can possibly get, basically. Okay. Is it so, shaped like an egg or a sedan? Is it kind of like... Uh, like a sedan. Okay. So I had originally rented like a hatchback, like a Nissan Verb or Vibe or, you know, right. Verboden or something. And... But I discovered that when you fold the back seats down, it's not an even sleeping pad, and you can't even extend your legs. So I was literally in the <laughs> Oakland airport parking lot, the going through position. all the tiny size oh, okay. cars, putting the rear seats down, 
laying down in the trunk and people are just walking by being like what the hell is this guy doing you know and i'm just like are we sure we want to rent the car this guy he's just gonna live in it totally exactly (laughs) he's just here to avoid the hotel tax so like yeah so i ended up finding this just straight up uh sedan tiny little it might even been kia which i've increasingly uh navigated towards in my rental car i like those i've had a few of those lately too yeah yeah they're cheap as hell um you know i ended up like you know car car quote-unquote car camping in like the rest area off i don't know route five whatever the main north south highway is in in uh california between oakland and santa barbara and just was like head in the trunk feet you know in the past did you have any visitors or were you at least left alone no i mean it was like it was kind of funny because like you go to like a rest area in the east coast and people aren't like just randomly camping in their cars right People on the West, I always know, it's like more, people it's are, common, yeah, yeah, they're cool with it. So it'll be like a random like visitor center. And it's not just the truckers who are sleeping, but like people in Sprinter vans, people in like minivans, and then like me in a small Kia slash Toyota slash Nissan, small compact sedan. So. Well, I think now that it's been kind of romanticized yeah. in the last five to 10 years, like yeah. I did all mine before Instagram and YouTube right, and right, the internet. I had a right. pager. Yeah. I was doing it with a pager. <laughs> that was a different time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and uh, you know, a Toyota Yaris is not really an Instagram-friendly uh, camping setup. <laughs> no, people aren't gonna be aren't gonna be. No one, you up yeah, with no mics. one's like, I, I don't want to quit my day job as a dentist to do that. But you could lean on the hood in right. front of like the, the bay. Yeah, you're like, look, I brought a jet boil, you know, like. <laughs> but on the flip side, no one thinks you're actually sleeping in the car. So right. there, I think people would be shocked if you like you could probably be in like a mcdonald's parking lot and people would have no idea They'd be like wow that guy's hungry my, my claim to fame of car sleeping was for a time period when i was caddying in vale in the vale valley when i was like a teenager late teenager um i slept in my truck and i had a wind up clock because this was literally yes. before you had like you know chargeable things yeah, yeah, yeah you know in the mid to late 90s yeah and then you know two hours later i was caddying for gerald ford that's awesome so i slept in my truck and then i gave advice to the president former president for <laughs> yeah. like six hours that's awesome because he couldn't make a decision on his own whatsoever it was you really? tell him yo it's, it's 120 to the front 140 to the back yeah got a little wind in your face and you present him his clubs and he's like yeah it's like hit the driver yeah i was like here take your take your nine iron dude yeah like just swing this right and the secret service guys are just following you around they don't say anything so you're just never sure how they feel about you right um and they had me caddy form because i was like the least threatening it was like I was the kid caddy among all the adult caddies because right. I like lived in my truck and needed to make a living. But yeah, slept in the truck, caddy for the president, same day. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I have. I don't that remember story. a lot of the details of it. Uh-huh. I remember more of when I caddied for Clint Eastwood. He's like, so, you sleep in your car last night, son. You smell like hell. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> if I had known at the time, like I've seen so many of his movies now, yeah, even the older ones. But at the time, I was like seventeen. Yeah. I didn't know shit. Right. Um. Like, I, I just think kind this of like I was in Mash. Right, yeah. People told me, "Oh, that's Clint." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I know. I've heard the name, you right. know, but I didn't really understand yeah. at the time." So where, like, the the top three places that you've car that you slept in your car, oh, like the cool ones, the awesome yeah, spots. Like, yeah, give me the top three. Uh, I would say Tillamook Bay, Oregon, which was like I did a. I used to live in like Tahoe, and I drove from Tahoe to Portland, then down the Oregon coast, which was like felt like driving through Jurassic Park. It's so prehistoric how right. just large the landscape is. Like the trees are like 150 feet tall and just 
you know, the beaches are 20 miles long and there's no one on them. Yeah. Uh, so I had a really cool beach campsite that I was like, again, like a 20 mile beach where you were the only person on that beach. It was crazy. Tillamook Bay, it's like the closest thing is like the air and space museum or something there. Where did you take a dump? Uh, I don't know. Probably just up the side of the road or something. <laughs> but I remember I drove all the way up this like county forest road just randomly like i was like where the hell is this going and then i finally turned the corner and there was just this epic view of this huge bay and i was like so you found it kind of by accident you weren't yeah you, yeah you weren't, like, i was just driving around no no i was oh, just wow. driving around and those uh, are the best yeah. yeah and then i like drove to the end of that road which is like another quarter mile and there's like a clear locals like gun range you know there's just shotgun <laughs> shells everywhere right and so course. i'm the only person up here i've been driving for like 35 minutes to get here and i like i'm sort of setting up and then someone comes flying around the corner just like slams on the brakes when they see me and just does like a four-point turn back down the other way and i'm like fuck is there gonna be like a drug gang that shows up here and just like chucks my body off the cliff and like burns <laughs> the car you know like yeah, you're, you on your you're on your yeah, own yeah 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 totally uh, so that was pretty prime. And then, uh, where else? I don't know. I mean, always in Moab, some good ones. Yeah. Jackson hole, shout them out in Jackson hole. That's always a classic. Are, are there decent places? Cause I know Jackson is just so tight with, yeah. um, housing and things like that. Yeah. Where, can you get 15 minutes out of town and be pretty much left alone? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people do that intentionally. Like just I live think, it. Yeah. uh, People, because the summer housing situation is so rough that they'll just literally live out of their car in, uh, I can't remember. It's past the Elk Refuge. There's one big zone up there where you can kind of drive into a bunch of spots and people literally just like live up there. And then uh, Shadow Mountain is another popular spot, which I preferred going to because you're like right across the flat valley from all the biggest peaks in the Tetons. And it's just a ridiculous place to be able to go camp for free it's outrageous yeah i tried to do the camp during the summer when i was in the vale valley for one of the seasons on the blm land yeah but they have these you have to move every two weeks and you have to move 30 miles every two weeks oh wow i hope that they just kind of didn't enforce it yeah because a lot of the other caddies who worked at this golf course also kind of did that yeah i had a big setup with like tent and i had like you know a bureau for my clothes and like all sorts oh, wow. of like a little mini house compound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I finally got tagged by the BLM and I tried to move a little bit and I got tagged again. And then I just had to put everything in storage and just went for the truck. I was like, I give up. Oh, man. I, I have to downsize <laughs> yeah, from yeah, my, yeah. my compound oh, on BLM wow. land and, yeah. and go for the truck. And, and, and then that winter though, it came in handy because I had the storage unit and I was able to go in there when it was really cold. Oh wow. And I had neighbors though. No there way. were a bunch of people also living in the storage facility, <laughs> no like way. on the DL. Like I wasn't That's the only awesome. one. I figured I was gonna be the only one, but there was like other people also doing it. Yeah. So you've been around quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, different parts of the country and out of the country. Give me the list, like from birth to now, like different places you've kind of called home. Grew up in uh, Northampton, New Hampshire, which is uh, a couple miles north of the Hampton Beach and the Lurid Casinos down that way, and just the kind of. Jersey style boardwalk. Uh, grew up there. Went to college in Western Mass. Um, lived in Aspen, Colorado. Right oh, wait, I got to stop you on Western. You went to Williams, didn't you? Yeah. You're a smart kid. Well, y- sure. Balling smart kid. Right. <laughs> balling smart kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, just because we're it. we're kind of we have a, a cosmic opposition. Right. 
Because I went to the state school down the street. Yeah. You guys would come over and like hit on our Be girls and we would go over to your yeah. parties and, and mess them up. Yeah. 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 Like, let's burn all the polo shirts. But I don't ah. think it was the exact same years. It was offset by like a couple of years. Yeah. I don't remember there was much uh, MCLA interaction when I was oh, at really? Williams. Yeah. Oh, we would go over. What was it? The Purple Pub? Yeah, but that burned down when I was there. This oh. was the shitty thing about Williams for anyone who's familiar with that school is that we had a quote-unquote main street that some alum owned, but they had so few businesses oriented towards students. It was all like rug shops and old furniture yep. stores. All right, and the dog's going to come uh, over here and breathe all over the microphone. Yeah, there was one. We had two bars, one no one went to called the, I don't even remember what it was called, in the Purple Pub, which was the cool actual college bar, and then that burned down sophomore year. Okay. And they basically rebuilt it four years later to look like an Applebee's, and it sucked. And the other bar, which sucked already, didn't have to move a muscle to make business. So we just had this crappy professor bar to go to for the last couple oh, We had the Pitcher's Mound and the Brick. And yeah, man, North Adams. You would have had more fun in North Adams. I think you wouldn't so. have gotten as good of an education, but you would have had way more fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> there would have been a lot more places I would have had a lot more fun. But So, yeah. okay, I stopped you at Williams. So after college, you went where? I went to Aspen, Colorado. Um, same place I had, had a pretty severe spinal cord injury. My freshman year of college, so not quite sure what the... Like, was it a car accident, or did you do it to yourself? No, like, no, I went out. You... We had a... One of my good friends in college was from Aspen, and so we all went... You know, I was a big park skier. My close friend or two were really close big park skiers, so we're like, let's go to the X Games, and like our little winter break that we had for a week in between our January semester and our spring semester um, was perfectly timed, so we like went out there with like eight people... And first run, first day, everyone was like, we want to see oh, you hit you at the park. And I was like, I don't want to be in the park. I'm in Colorado. Like, let's ski some real mountains now. And uh, so I just did one run, and I saw some kid kind of hit this jump. And I was like, that looks like it's 40 feet. Everything's big out here. And I just, like, oh, sat yeah. on my tails going into the first jump in the park as fast as I could oh. and just popped. And, like, for a quarter second, I was like, oh, my God, amp snowboarding is awesome. Like, was so <laughs> high in the air. Like, I was, like above the treetop yep. next to me i couldn't believe it and i was like so and then, you know, and then the windows start going no no i was so composed like okay it, i had perfect uh stance in the air and you know just from like mogul background and i felt really composed in the air but then i looked down and realized i was like 30 feet off the, the ground. landings behind you all yeah right. the landing i never even saw it oh, and no. uh, it was like a maybe a 15 foot jump so i just kind of you know started coming down and then had this uh actually this weird kind of moment of remembering um the guy who set the world cliff record he jumped like 250 feet jamie pierre jamie pierre yeah. yeah he was like go he's like you know if you're gonna fall oh, like go limp go like limp. don't fight it that's when you get messed up so wow. i was really afraid i was gonna like blow my knees and just like whatever uh so i just like you know i was landing perfectly flat on my feet but i just like went you know i didn't try to like stand it up at all um so i uh so you actually had time in the air to think about that i had like like okay i've heard somebody said it's better to go limp so let's just go limp i mean i think i had time but it also is like one of those moments where like you're in a sort of do or die scenario and like time slows down right 
you know, for a moment. So I really remember all the other things in your mind don't matter. Right. And you only have one thing to think. Right. About. And you just like all of a sudden your mind like creates this space in time. So it felt like I had like 30 seconds before I wow. hit the ground and I could kind of see, you know, the details in the groomed snow, like the tr- little tracks start to come. And I was like, all right, it's coming. <laughs> and I, you know, landed on my feet and then just went straight to my tailbone. And that was oh. all the impact. Um, bounced off my tailbone into the air. And at that point I was like so uh, astonished that I was still conscious that I was like, oh my God, I'm still I'm still up. Like I'm still, you know, I'm not, I didn't knock myself out. And then I just kind of supermaned onto my chest and like slid into the next jump. Um, and honestly, the first concern was like, I had the, I'd never had the wind knocked out of me. It was like 10 times I thought I was like had punctured a lung and was going to suffocate because I was right. like, I could not. At that not... moment, you think kind of everything's broken. Well, I couldn't even tell. Like I had no feeling other than I, I couldn't get a breath. It felt like it took like five minutes of like pulling and pulling and pulling to finally like <gasps> get a breath in. And then uh, at that point, I once I kind of like got my shit together, then ski patrol was down really quick since this was like almost at the top of the chairlift. Everybody uh, could see it. There was yeah. Like everyone could already, see yeah. it. My friends saw it and uh, you know, I couldn't feel anything below my waist. Yeah. Um, and I thought I'd broken like every bone in my, le- you know, legs and my femur and all this stuff. And like, I was like, Oh man, you know, I can't feel my legs, can't move my legs. But the only pain I have is like, I feel like I, threw my back out like lifting a heavy couch or something yeah. like that was the most pain I was in so it wasn't like this agonizing uh thing so I was actually in this really light mood um when ski patrol came and they were like you know doing the you know the consciousness check like hey what day of the week is it and I'm like of course it's Saturday it's the 27th like come on guys like yeah you know I was a little frustrated with them about like doing this rudimentary thing when I was like so with it um, but it kind of kicked off this weird survival mode where like the like emotional and traumatic impact of like what I had experienced never really, I kind of like just totally blocked it. Yeah. Uh, and just was like, okay, what do I got to do in the next five minutes to like, you know, get to whatever this next step is. Um, so it was really surreal. Like, you know, my friends were totally shaken up and just really, you know, visibly incredibly uh upset and disturbed when they finally they brought me to aspen hospital this was like crazy story like and you know i'm sitting there on the uh on whatever like on a hospital bed next to this other kid had broken his wrist they bring me into the operating room to like do some x-rays and then i hear the door open and some doctors explaining well he had you know uh, what do you have, like a burst fracture in his T10, he cracked his T11, his spinal cord column has been compressed in half, and he can't feel his legs, and I just hear this woman start bawling. And I come around the corner, and it's these two random parents, I have no idea who they are, and they ended up being the parents of the kid who'd broken his wrist. Oh my god. So they had walked in this hospital thinking their son had broken his wrist, and then the guy's like, you gotta come in here, spinal cord injury, the guy can't feel his legs, like, they're like, oh my god, like, you know. And so the, they had no idea what to do. And the husband was just like so flabbergasted. He just started yelling at me. He was like, what the hell do you think? This is some kind of joke. And I was like, listen, I have no idea. So like, the doctor thought yeah, that he, those were your parents. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, so that was pretty funny. And then uh, I remember like. You, you were know, just totally matter of factly absorbing all this. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't know. Like, I this is, you know, I don't know what's up with your son. When they were putting, they had to put me on a helicopter to fly me to Grand Junction because they had a whatever level one trauma center 
you know, I remember like, this is just a sign of the state I was in. Like my friends are all watching this thing, like get ready. And they're just like bawling. Like they're totally just, they think you're never overwhelmed. Yeah. And And I'm just responsible in some way. Right. And I'm just like in the thing with the oxygen on totally wrapped up looking out the door. And I remember like, as I thought they were going to lift off, I was doing the thing from Top Gun, like three, two, one, like, like pretending they were like ejecting an F-18 off an aircraft carrier. And I just thought it was so funny, but like everyone else is like, what the hell is, you know, just yeah. like totally out of sorts. Uh, and then they like, we got hundred feet off the ground and the, whatever they had me on kicked in and I just like, boom, passed out. out. Yeah. So, so the recovery was, was, did you ever complete it? Are you, are you a hundred percent or do you still no, have a couple no. things? You, yeah, you have some, I still have, some um, things you got to watch. Yeah. I mean, I have, um, I had a lot of nerve damage to my posterior chain. So kind of my butt, hamstrings, calf muscles. Um, so I can't stand up on my toes. Like I don't have the, the, uh, nerves that kind of fire to my calf muscles don't really work that well. And so, um, yeah, I can't stand up on my toes. I can't really like, I would be like the worst intramural soccer player right now. I could like not kick a ball to save my life. You know, my back is great. Like I don't have any pain with that, you know, still ski, still mountain bike, you know, still do all these things that I really love to do coincidentally it's like the other things that i really wasn't doing that like you know yeah i can't i'm not a pickup basketball player but i never right. was one so and like rock climbing probably would yeah rock so climbing well. i don't think would work um yeah. but mountain biking you know uh kneeboard surfing you know skiing snowboarding anything where there's like you know you're using another device to kind of like uh, be the kind of intermediary thing hmm. between you and the the sport you're doing i think has been really successful shockingly so i would say so so rattle off the rest of the places we got stuck in college because okay. you wrecked yourself yeah so then- college uh lived in aspen for a year after college moved back to new hampshire thinking i was going to go to the alps for the winter that didn't work out ended up meeting these guys from south america snow sessions which was a adventure travel company that did ski trips to argentina um on the beach in new hampshire and they're all guys from New Hampshire pretty much who just had set up shop at uh, this winter rental house in Rye ended up being a sales guy for them for like uh, a year went down to Argentina twice Um, yeah worked for them for two years then ended up moving to Lake Tahoe to try to be um, you know focus on freelance writing uh, in the kind of ski world at that point had been writing for like brobomb.com for a year or so. And when you I, say writing for Bro Bomb, how did Bro Bomb come to exist? So Bro Bomb was originally uh, John Hartley, Matt Barber, and um, Chris Kasuna. These three guys who are all these Pennsylvania skiers, Pennsylvania park skiers, skied like Big Boulder together. Yeah, they just started this jokey ski blog, and I can't remember how I found it, but it was I think it was like a review of some like line dart poles, and they had like they just had like some rap video background and the guy was showing that like this, the grips were so skinny that you could like play one-on-one basketball with them. So he's like in Philly playing basketball <laughs> with these ski poles. And I was like, what the hell is this? This is awesome. But yeah. I just thought it was so ridiculous. So I think I reached out to them at some point and just said, yeah, I'd love to start, you know, writing for you guys. And as we started doing that, I think like a couple months later, we all happened to be at SIA together. Like they flew out for just for Bro Bomb, and I came out with SAS. And like 
you know, we met, I don't know, like Jason Leventhal and like J.P. Claire and like uh, Eric Iberg and all these people are like, oh, my God, I love Bro Bomb. I'm like, wait, what? Like <laughs> people are like, know what this is and like read it. And I was like kind of astonished that uh, we had anything going at that point. But people were like rabid, rabid fans. So did that for a while. And at the same time, I was also starting to write for powder just on behalf of um sass was doing like free kind of updates from south america as like kind of a content marketing play and just with that and bro bomb i started doing a little bit more for them over time so I lived in tahoe for a year uh had a girlfriend back in new hampshire at the time that ultimately i decided to move back the next summer back to new hampshire um, lived there for a year and a half. Then I got um, job at TGR as the associate editor, I think. What year was that? That was 2012, I think. So you moved to Jackson. Moved to Jackson. You're working Hall. for the Joneses. Working for the Joneses. How many people work for the Joneses? What is the size of TGR at that like time or this time? 40. 40? Yeah. And so you're you're like punching the clock for Teton Gravity, which is a weird concept. Yeah. But it's right when basically social media blows up and starts telling every company in the world to start producing clickbait. Yeah. Yeah. It all happened so fast. Yeah. When like the there way was no the success, clickbait when I started, yeah. there was not right. It like it, it you were like, oh, I'm going to write some blog posts and I'm going to deal with the chat room and like these yeah. are the things that are important. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like kind of like a, a switch was flipped. Right. Right. And I think. You know, when I shit up, the strategy was, okay, here's our budget. Let's pay uh, these 10 contributors to write these 20 or 30 stories for the next three or six months. And, you know, they're all really, um, you know, pretty interesting, like very um, core stories about the ski industry and ski brands and places right. to ski. In-depth content of value. Right, right. Um, you know, I guess of varying quality and, and of interest. And I think that, um, you know, pretty quick, like we had a charge of like, hey, we, we want to double traffic on this website. Uh, managing editor at the time, Mike Sudmeyer, who's an, an excellent mentor, excellent guy, um, really committed to writing good editorial and, and editing good editorial, um, ended up leaving. And so I ended up filling his shoes within, I don't know, maybe six months of something like that when I started and we just kind of took stock of everything we had and we were like, okay, well, we're, we're assigning these things at, out three or six months. If things start to, you know, fail and we start getting duds and no one wants to look at this stuff, like we've already committed all our budget to, to do. So we started just seeing, okay, what was of the last 10 things we put up? What did the best? Oh, okay. That had like, that was like a video about a snowmobile getting caught in avalanche. Wow. That was really easy, you know, like <laughs> yeah. to get that video up. So like we started just experimenting more and more and more. And we also had uh, just an army of interns that we always had, um, you know, three to six interns at a time, you know, working um, on the site. And so we'd always kind of start people off by, OK, this is your education about how the Internet works like. We're going to have you aggregate videos about what's going on in the snow industry. And we kind of gradually started to stretch out what that I, that concept could be of what what's pertinent be. to this brand, right? right. Have these, uh, you know, students learn about like what makes a good title? Why is a screen, you know, a good video screenshot so important? How do you edit that screenshot to do well? 
you know, what do you, how do you position the content of the video? You know, you know, what's the, you know, really most compelling moment of this whole thing. And that just kind of like took this, uh, life of its own in a way that we would just be like hey we got a video of like a squirrel hitting like a 40 foot jump and we got a video of like chelsea handler topless heli skiing and like okay we'll put that one up on sunday morning and da, da, da. and it got to a point where like you know it was so funny like i i you know was able to write some you know really meaningful things for me while i was there and like probably the the biggest uh you know story for me was like you know writing about the uh, avalanche and then unfortunately the death and obituary about like J.P. Claire and Liz Daly and Andreas Olsen and I was like on vacation in Whistler and like had to totally stop the clocks and it was like oh my god this is like right. you know every once in a while you got to put pause on the on, on the bullshit feed right right and move back to right covering the covering the story covering yeah the and we you know and it was just a really uh, powerful experience you know because I'd idolized J.P. Claire since I was a kid and to be able to like write his obituary like on a big you know uh media outlet was like a really that's that's uh, heavy humbling experience in a really powerful one and then like you know what was my other two biggest page views of the year it was (laughs) like no it was like uh i think the biggest was like a a like a side by side you know those razor like atv things Mm -hmm. um was like uh one of those basically running what looked like a mountain bike course but it was built for this car and that got like three million page views yeah, just it's weird crazy. weird or crazy yeah. yeah and um other stuff that i'm much less proud of uh <laughs> like, well so- I mean, we, we all know now beyond a shadow of a doubt that humans prefer sugar salt and fat yeah mentally yeah. over vitamins right if you're giving them vitamins some people are going to be like oh yes that's nice so i right. will consume this right and it will do me good and that will be one hundredth of the folks that will click on something that's sugar salt or fat for their brain right and back when those metrics are what's delivering the traffic yeah and i'm sure you guys were monetizing that traffic with retail or whatever else yeah more traffic equals growth yeah i mean i think it was it was a balance right because that stuff was like like you said that was the cheap sugar to like Mm -hmm. that was the potato chips of the content you know that got the traffic up such that we could actually say okay we're gonna write a a a really thoughtful piece about um the experience of african-americans in the snow sports world or we're gonna start this column woman in the mountains and we're gonna have like great authors write really interesting stories about you know, just what it's like to be a woman in all kinds of situations in a kind of mountain environment in the culture we live in and a humor column. And like, that was all like really well done. Awesome content by incredible people that was able to get, I think, a lot more traction because we had built a bigger, basically funnel to find that stuff. So you guys were able to kind of take that growth and also do good things with it, not just kind of like, yay, more hats. Yeah, right. I mean, we didn't uh, fully... Uh, if I can tease my friends at unofficial networks, we didn't fully yes. chase chase the rabbit oh. that direction. Um, but we, you know, we we definitely recognize. Okay, this is like kind of keeping you know the pages turning and keeping our ad dollars uh, coming to a certain degree. Um, but we also knew that we needed to maintain some legitimacy, have good content, and we uh, it was a great. I thought it was a great system for the time we were in, which is when you could just post that stuff on Facebook. You didn't have to pay to boost it and it would just blow up. 
uh, and you'd be like, wow, yeah, right, it was all, all that 500,000 page views for free. Heck yeah, you know? And now, like, that era is kind of faded, and now you have to, like, pay to even still get those posts, even if the content's good in the first place. So it was kind of this interesting moment where, you know, it was so easy to get these these page views, and, um, you know, we really, like, we, we literally, like, doubled the traffic on the TGR website. You know, we're able to support, like, really, like, some great work by some awesome people and really grow um, the careers of some aspiring writers um but it was you know yeah it was this comical situation of like this balance of saying okay well we're gonna have our clickbait you know because we're also like don't take ourselves that seriously but we are gonna have good content when there is an avalanche uh you know situation and there's been a death we're gonna do really respectful good reporting about that um we're gonna talk about what's going on in the industry that is actually interesting to not people in the industry, but like the average person out there. And we're going to, you know, have a great humor column like Sam Morris started called the Bumian that was just all like onion style content every Friday that killed it and, and just was really hilarious stuff. Our budget didn't really grow, which was a little uh, frustrating and part of why I ended up moving on. But what we were able to do a lot with what we had and not just, you know, potato chip clickbait all day long. So you didn't go to school for clickbait. Right. Right. What'd you major in? I was a Spanish major in environmental studies uh, concentration, I think, which was like a minor. So environmental studies, that's mm -hmm. getting closer to kind of what you're you're up to now, correct? Yeah. You yeah. are with an esteemed national organization that I figure people will yes, be familiar yes. with. Uh, I work with the Sierra Club and I'm on their digital innovation team now, which was a really timely move for me. It was always something wanted to move to environmental advocacy kind of after my like you know fun like teacher i was kind of like college 2.0 like, yeah like but i honestly i learned a ton I, I really learned a ton and i i owe those guys um you know a debt of gratitude for giving me that place and i had a great an incredible manager dan vaughn who you know really showed me like oh this is how you treat and build a team and nurture them and nurture their skills and i really like a lot of the things i learned about how to work with people and respect their talent and skills and be professional um, and, you know, strike a balance when you can't make everyone happy necessarily with the resources you have. Um, you know, a lot of really valuable lessons that um, I'm actually surprised how many I'm kind of like putting to use now. And Well, without going too deep down the rabbit hole of what you do at Sierra Club, which you can share a little sure. bit if you want, but, you know, we're in a spot societally, mm -hmm. if that's even a word, where the opportunity to donate to a cause is smashing us in the face every day. Every time we right. go on the internet or via phone or via my front door, people are showing up on bicycles. Yeah. Um, you know, the, what doesn't deserve a GoFundMe at this point? Right. You know, how does the Sierra Club uh, or how has it maybe adjusted itself or is it trying to adjust itself into this new world where maybe 10, 15 years ago, Sierra Club was one of a handful of environmental causes you could give yeah. to. Yeah. Um, and now the fragmentation, I'm sure, has hit the nonprofit world as well. Like, how does the Sierra Club fit into that changing environment where, oh, my God, there's a million ways to right. get active? Right. I mean, I think part of it is just an increased sophistication at, you know, this organization to match what people are funding with the specific thing they're interested in. So... 
you know, we do a lot of different work. We have, you know, 60 state chapters, local groups. We have a national organization. We got 60 lawyers almost. So we do a lot of different issues. And, you know, it might be something where someone's more interested in protecting wildlife and that's maybe what they want to donate towards. Or people are really, you know, hopped up on increasing clean energy availability in the country. So maybe that's where we might target our advancement kind of programs to them. Um, I think it's a lot more about targeting people with the kind of message in a means of supporting a specific program that they really identify with versus like, you know, hey, give us money to do 50 things. And you're like, oh, you know, like you don't you don't know quite what your connection is to that um, organization and their work. But it's kind of finding what what does this person really care about and how can we make sure that we're going to ask them to do something that they really feel like is valuable. Do you guys ever roll your eyes when you see like this guy's hamster just got five hundred thousand dollars? Not really. I mean, I think our advancement team is doing really, really well, and particularly since the last presidential election. Yeah. So I, you know, I think we're in a really fortunate place where we're not. I would assume your total income donations, what have you, has been improved by the events of two thousand sixteen. Yes. Yeah. We um, did a lot of, you know, I think what that situation basically does for any really the like nonprofit world at large is it says, you know, depending on your politics, right, you know, we're a more progressive organization. So when you have a conservative administration who's probably, you know, going to roll back environmental protections, you know, broadly, then folks can't depend on the governmental agencies to quote unquote, do the right thing in their view. So it becomes more incumbent upon the nonprofits that operate in that space to, they they are seen more as the like entities that are going to protect whatever that is, whether that's civil rights or environmental protections. You know, I think you see that shifting, you know, again, just like with us, you know, it's like when Barack Obama got in, elected, like the NRA membership flew up, you know? Right. So it's like operating in a similar dynamic um to that respect, yeah. All right, so enough about work. <laughs> you had your park skiing accident 10, 15, how many, many years ago? Yeah. When you get out now into the mountains in the wintertime, mm-hmm. how are you doing it? Started doing a lot more snowboarding and then got my first split board this last year. And last year was my first season without a pass in like six years, I think. So no pass, split board. A lot of people are doing that same kind of thing. What did yeah. you learn in year one that maybe would help other people if they're thinking about getting into it? Learn how to be a good snowboarder first, probably. <laughs> I can... Uh, so, oh, so hold on. So you picked up split boarding before you kind of were any good at snowboarding? No, well, I'm, you know, th- I think last year was like my third season doing any amount of snowboarding. And what I realized basically was like, I'd been a skier forever. I kind of plateaued in that as a lot of people do, you know, whatever it is they've been doing for 20 years, you eventually get to a point where um, you're just coasting. You're not, yeah, you're not coast. You're just coasting. And so I wanted to have uh, kind of a new challenge and a new, have that really wonderful experience of being like a student of something all over again. Um, And so like, I got like $140 snowboard set up at like a ski swap when I was living in Jackson hole and, Rode a ton that winter, and then, um, you know, when I was working at TGR, we got to play around with a lot of fun boards, and there was one day where I borrowed a edgeless 140-centimeter bamboo uh, snowboard from these folks in Bend, Oregon, called Snowplanks, 
and went up on Teton Pass on Mount Glory. Um, if anyone's familiar with that uh, kind of hike, 1700 foot hike, and then you can ski like up to a 2500 foot run. And it was honestly, it was like one of those like immaculate early season, like cold smoke, 3% density, waist deep, <laughs> more just ludicrous. Yeah. And, you know, I'd skied, you know, fortunately plenty of those on skis you know always super fun like amazing right and then rode it on this tiny board that looked like a freaking you know looked like a cafeteria tray basically and i remember just like edging down you know edging off into this line and as soon as i started getting a little bit of speed and just turned just a little bit away from the fall line like overhead snow could not see anything blind like just the stuff that you see in movies and think you're never going to experience and like every time the board went like a little bit out of the fall line i was just like inundated with powder i like could not believe it i was just like catatonic with how uh amazing that experience was and i just like fell into like a snow angel stance at the bottom i was like i can't fucking believe that just so that was like let's start snowboarding yeah that did it for me i was like that is what i want to experience you know so then uh, so you got it you got a split board last year where did you take it out? What what were the hot spots you were able to hit um, in the first season? I mean, it was a pretty rough season, honestly. Like I, I'm from Portland, Maine, so like our real advantage is that we're kind of uh, have a bit of a back door into the White Mountains. So I was really psyched. Um, I have some friends, Ben Leone from folks remember from uh, working for the weekend, and uh, another friend of mine, Blake Keogh really big white mountain skiers, big Mount Washington skiers. And, you know, obviously I was like, Hey, they've been skiing here for like six years. Hell yeah. I want to like, you know, not have to do six years of warm ups before I know what the hell I'm doing up there. Like, this is amazing. I got so this just like, like midwinter tucks with them trying to figure it out. Well, we went up like, you know, December over Christmas, you know, uh, went up there once or twice and got shut down. You know, there's so much wind. It's a really hard place to get right. Uh, then we had that rain in January and pretty much like the scene on the eastern half of New England, I felt like really just like went down the tubes. When did we go to Rasta? I'm trying to remember. That was, uh, that was Christmas break. It was like crazy cold. It was so cold. But it wasn't windy. No, so it, it was, was manageable. Just, but that was like your first time out on the thing, wasn't it? Or close to it? Um, I'd probably been out maybe one other time yeah. so far. So Any changes to the setup for year two or just... It's still going to um, work. Change my stance a little bit, but not really. I mean, I think um, I got to get my boots fixed, but I really enjoyed it because the boots are a lot more comfortable than ski boots. Yeah. And the um, the split board, the skis are like these little like kind of snowshoe shaped things because the board is shorter and wider. And so it was like a little, almost a little less cumbersome, like to move around. Um, and I would say the only thing that I was like oh man skis are still a little bit more convenient was like you know you hit a flat traverse coming down or like some awkward little you know like coming down from tucks and you're having to like bushwhack through like a bunch of trees and I'm just like not that quick yet Um, traversing and bushwhacking right right and so you know I had I had some moments and I like you know took a small spruce to the chest at one point um but But, you know you're not buying a pass you're sticking with with the choice are you gonna buy a pass this year or no I don't think so. I'm trying to go to Japan in January, so that's my main kind of like cash outlay for the year. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was really it was really nice to not have to. You could just kind of be like, "Hey, let's just go to this random place that we think got snow, and it's a little, 
you know, we have like Shawnee Peak down the street, not down the street. It's like an hour 10 from Portland and they have like a little east side of the resort that's closed during the weekdays and you just skin right up that, get a little hippie pow turns coming down. It was fun. So I think, um, yeah, hopefully you travel a little bit more around New England this year and get back out to Jackson for a couple weeks since I work remotely and have some flexibility to do that. But um, yeah, it's fun. I really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of fun to kind of be thinking more in terms of like a little more, more adventuresome of a mindset than you might have if you're like, okay, I got my pass. Right. And you're just thinking, okay, did they get enough snow to warrant me going up? this weekend and i don't know it's just like a nice change of pace after a lot of years of riding riding right from portland's like am i gonna go to sunday river again am i gonna go to loon again am i gonna go to wherever you're gonna go yeah yeah uh well you can put saddleback on the list at least yeah hopefully that'll be up there yeah and i love uh although i did have i had like the most epic day i've had on a snowboard at um oh god black mountain of maine nice epic little hill they've gladed the whole place it's amazing amazing that's the one right above Rumford, right? Uh, right, right. Terrain. Yeah. And I showed up on a Friday that had uh, 18 inches, and that was like, honest to God, the best day on a snowboard I've ever had. Right. Amazing. And no, no people. Nobody there. Yeah. $20 lift tickets. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> so that place, I was like, okay, I might, I would maybe get a pass there. Yeah, but, but or if it's 20 bucks, just you right. go eight times when it's amazing. Right, right. So I think that's probably more of my, my program. And it's just kind of fun to have more flexibility and... I think you kind of need to be willing to poke around in New England to find the good snow a little bit more. Um, so it's nice to kind of have a little bit more freedom to, as an excuse to do some goofy stuff like that. Well, the freedom got you camping in the cornfield this weekend. How many yeah. more? You got to get a couple more nights in here or are you heading back soon? I'm not sure. I might head back tonight, depending on my energy level. Might head back tomorrow. Well, it's going to be snowing again in a couple more months. Until then, enjoy the uh, cornfield camp in Dunphy. Thanks for coming by. Happy to be here, man. It's and enjoy a seltzer, free seltzer, an adult beverage if I happen to have any available. Sounds awesome. See you, Don. See you, dude. And it's rant time. My kid takes thirty-minute dumps when we get to restaurants, and there's nothing I can do about it. It ruins the entire episode for everyone. It's not his fault. It's just really hard to manage. And of course, sitting there for that long makes his legs fall asleep, so he complains about that afterward. Does anyone have success with requiring your kid to go poop before you go out to eat? Don't answer that. End of rant. So that was our first visitor in the locals and visitors vein of Wintry Mix. A bunch of locals should pack the feed nicely in November. Hit me up via email at alex at wintrymixcast.com with any suggestions or just to shoot the shit. In the meantime, I always appreciate those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you leave one, I will owe you a beer if I see you in the wild. And uh, if you listen to podcasts on Spotify, we're also there now too. Follow on social or better yet, share an episode and tell a buddy about the pod if they've been missing out. Goodbye. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, polar.
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, polar.